Welcome to Random Topic Generator, the podcast that could be about anything and everything. And you know what? At some point, it probably will. But this week, we're going to talk about something very cool, something I think everybody can get behind because it's a topic that even if you're not a huge fan of sort of the genre per se, you're left scratching your head just like the rest of us, trying to figure out a logical conclusion. And what do I mean by that? We all love, most of us, let's put it that way, not everybody, but most everybody loves a good mystery. Whether it's a mystery movie or a TV show or just a good mystery book or maybe a mystery in real life. We all love, you know what, I'm just going to say we all just for sake. There's five of you out there that don't like mysteries. I'm sorry, but the rest of us do. Anyways, we all love a good mystery and nothing makes a great mystery even that much better especially when this happens. And what am I talking about? When it doesn't have finality, when it doesn't have a conclusion, when it isn't figured out. So the mystery is still there and that the, and the legend begins to grow and grow and grow and grow until it turns into this huge phenomenon and people everywhere all over this planet are like, the hell's up with that mystery that is weird let's solve that but nobody can because it hasn't been solved yet why do i bring that up why are we going to talk about it on this episode because this past weekend i was watching a documentary on prime about the malaysian air flight that disappeared into apparent thin air for the longest time and nobody knew what happened to it so i thought that would be a fun little episode of random topic generator to talk about a few of the unexplained unfulfilled mysteries out there that we all know and love so much so I took my query to social media, as I often do, to elicit some of your help as to what are some of the mysteries that that you are fascinated by, because the, the first three that came to my mind about doing this was, of course, you have Jack the Ripper. That's sort of the, the, the king of all kings of unsolved mysteries, like who the hell is Jack the Ripper? The other one was the the aforementioned Malaysian flight in 2014. And a third one is the D.B. Cooper case. Now, we may talk about that one a little bit on this podcast, but I wanted to go a little bit different than the the standard ones that people always bring up, like D.B. Cooper and Jack the Ripper. So I, I, I put it all to you. I... I sent the, 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 the bat signal out for your responses, and I got some great replies. So let's talk about them, shall we? One of the very cool ones that was mentioned that I'm sort of mad that I didn't think about 
And it was something that really fascinated me when I was an eight-year-old boy. And that, of course, is the wow signal. And if you don't know that what it was, in 1977, uh, an astronomer, Jerry Edmond, was using a radio signal detector from Ohio State University to scan the stars around the constellation Sagittarius, during which he picked up a 72-second radio frequency that seemed to be coming from deep space. He wrote the letters WOW in the margin of his computer printout, which is probably the most breezy reaction ever to thinking you may have just made contact with extraterrestrials. Now, there have been numerous attempts to explain away and to debunk what he actually captured. Uh, Like one in 2017 had a theory stating that it was just a pair of comets passing near our planet. But that's really kind of grasping at straws. And it's quickly refuted. So, why did it only last for 72 seconds? Why haven't we picked up a similar or the same frequency or sound from other comets? The the hundreds, the thousands of other comets that have flown near our planet during our ability to record and view things from outer space so that's always been a very cool one to me is that proof that there's aliens out there no but it's still here going on almost 50 years 45 years later a very head-scratching what the hell was that that they just picked up wow for lack of a better term Another one that was brought up is the Beale Ciphers, which I admit I I had heard of, but I didn't know a ton about, so I had to do a little bit of reading about this one. But if you're not aware what the Beale Ciphers are, you know, it kind of sounds like an Old West legend, and it probably should be taken as such, because sometime in the 1800s, as the story goes, a Virginia man named Thomas Beale, discovered a fortune in gold and silver while hunting for buffalo north of Santa Fe, New Mexico. He took the treasure back to Virginia and buried it there somewhere near Bedford County. As a sort of a treasure map, he wrote three encrypted messages which held the secrets to finding his massive fortune, which is worth estimated around $43 million or so. I'm really not sure how anyone could describe how much it's worth unless he explained how much gold and silver he buried. But he left letters with a friend, and after he died, taking his secrets with him, of course, they were published in 1885 as the Beale Papers. Now, as you might expect, the search for his silver and gold has been ongoing since the publication in 1885. And actually, only one of the three letters that he wrote has been deciphered. And that one really only told 
what exactly he had buried, not where he had buried it. So the other two still fall under great scrutiny and great study with people trying to crack it, trying to find that missing silver and gold. And as you might expect, there are plenty of theories floating around, including one by Edgar Allan Poe that called the whole thing a gigantic hoax. So maybe it is, maybe it's not, but maybe someday somebody may find Beale's treasure and be $83 million, or excuse me, $43 million richer for all of their trouble. It would be cool to find, wouldn't it? Probably a better chance than that than winning the lottery. Now, speaking of strange ciphers, another one that was brought up is one that's kind of, sort of more recent, and that is the, the case of the Zodiac Killer. And police, at, police in San Francisco have investigated... 2,500 different suspects since the 1960s, but they're still no closer to finding the Zodiac Killer. And who might that be, if you don't know? He was a serial murderer who claimed to have at least 37 victims in and around the San Francisco Bay Area in the mid, early to mid to later 19th, or I guess I should just say the whole decade of the 1960s. He sent taunting letters to the police and the press with encrypted messages that promised clues to his identi identity and chilling messages about his victims, claiming they went, you know, to the slaughter like a lamb and stuff like that. He even referenced his own mental health in one of them. And it's been 44 years since the killer last made contact, and there still have been no solid leads to figure out who he may possibly be. A man in 2014 claimed that his deceased dad was the killer, but the case remains cold and is one of the most chilling unsolved mysteries, not only here in the United States, but in the entire world. Now, here's one I hadn't heard of, but I sort of came across it while I was doing a little bit of reading, preparing. Yeah, I actually prepared a little bit for this podcast, but it's kind of eerie and spooky all in the same. On August 20th, 2007, a disembodied human foot, still in its Adidas tennis shoe, washed up on a beach near Vancouver, British Columbia. A week later, another foot washed ashore. This one in a white Reebok. In the 11 years since, a grand total of 13 feet, usually in sneakers, have been found on the beaches of British Columbia. The latest foot was discovered just this past December when a man and his dog happened upon, upon a tibia and it's attached to a left foot in a black running shoe hell are all these feet coming from and what's going on in Canada? As you might guess, there are tons of theories going around about what's going on with this case. Everything from being decomposed body parts from a plane crash to a serial killer who likes cutting off the feet of his victims and throwing them into a sea. A handful of feet have been identified through DNA testing and they were usually people who died from suicide. 
One such pair actually belonged to the same woman who jumped off a bridge in New Westminster, British Columbia in 2004. So that's kind of weird. I mean, it would be a strange thing to, to happen upon, whether you're walking your dog or not. Hey, what's that? It's a shoe. There's a foot inside that shoe. That's weird. That's damn weird. One that's really not a mystery about what happened, more of a case of what we all missed. And what I mean by that is Richard Nixon's missing 18 and a half minutes of audio tape that he cut out of his audio recorder during the Watergate scandal that rocked his presidency in 1974 and 75. I mean, nobody really knows for sure what exactly got deleted, per se. It's assumed that most of the conversations between Nixon and his chief of staff, Bob Haldeman, are what they revealed about the whole Watergate scandal are probably what got cut out. Now, Nixon Secretary Rosemary Woods claimed responsibility easy for me to stay, claimed responsibility for at least some of the erasure, claiming she accidentally hit the record button while transcribing a few of the tapes, but she also said that was only about five minutes, so that would still leave 13 and a half minutes of missing Watergate-esque audio tape that we don't know. Come on, Tricky Dick, come back from the grave and let us know what exactly you deleted on those tapes. Now, this one isn't exactly an unsolved mystery per se, because we can all assume exactly what happened. I mean, we all sort of grew up with childhood games chanting her name, and what I'm speaking about is the case of Lizzie Borden. When a wealthy couple in Fall River, Massachusetts, were butchered in their own home with an axe in 1892, there was only one plausible suspect, their 32-year-old daughter, Lizzie, who lived with the couple. Now, the whole town kind of assumed she was guilty, and she indeed wasn't giving herself the best ally, making herself the best ally, giving inconsistent answers and changing her answers all the time, even burning her own, her older clothes while the investigators were still there, kind of shed some suspicious light on her. Now, prior to the murder, she was also upset with her parents, her stepmother specifically, for being overly frugal with their finances. When Lizzie was finally acquitted, a town turned against her, treating her like the murderer that she probably was, who had somehow escaped justice. She scorned in public and became the subject of a childhood rhyme. Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. Remember that uh, rhyme when we were kids? Did she do it? Or did Lizzie get away with murder? <laughs> Careful with that axe, Eugene. Oh, sorry, not Eugene. That's a Pink Floyd song. Careful with that axe, Lizzie. Now, long before hacking was actually part of our national vocabulary, 
Two Chicago television stations in 1987 were briefly taken over by a mysterious hacker who interrupted broadcast signals and appeared on screen wearing a Max Headroom mask and sunglasses. The first attack happened during a news segment and lasted 25 seconds, in which the Headroom character said and did nothing. But in the second intrusion, during an 11 p.m. broadcast of Doctor Who broadcast on PBS, the guy dressed like Max mooned the audience and was spanked by a fly swatter. What did all this mean? Who was responsible? And what in the world was the point? I mean, there are there is video of this happening flying around the internet if you want to take a look at it. Nobody ever come forward to take responsibility, to, to claim credit for it, and it's sort of a mystery how back in the mid-1980s they were actually able to hack in to a television station's broadcast and broadcast their own interruption in the middle of it. Very interesting, though. I mean, that would be kind of weird. It's kind of like this past Super Bowl when we had that stupid QR code commercial for 60 seconds, which ended up being a cryptocurrency company. But that's sort of the first thing I thought when that popped on was like, okay, is something wrong with the feed? Is good time for them to lose signals during their biggest program of the year? But Still an interesting unsolved mystery to this date, the Max Headroom TV hacking. Now, I've been specifically avoiding mysteries of sort of the paranormal variety because I talk about those on many other podcasts, so you're probably sick of hearing it. So I'm not going to talk about Area 51 or the Phoenix Lights or Bigfoot or stuff like that. But one that's got a little bit of a strange, kind of, sort of paranormal feel to it that is indeed an unsolved mystery is the Taos Hum. And if you haven't heard of that, in the small town of Taos in north-central New Mexico, there's a buzzing sound, or maybe a low-frequency drone, we better put, that's been annoying and or fascinating people since at least the early 1990s, and people don't know what the heck it is. The townspeople complained to the Congress in 1993, and various studies have been conducted trying to figure out what exactly is going on. Attempts to find the source have come up empty-handed. Debunked explanations have been given like a high-pressure gas line, industrial equipment, low-frequency electromagnetic radiation, or maybe top-secret military experiments that the government doesn't want us to know about. Okay, maybe that one hasn't been debunked yet, but so far nobody has been able to find the culprit, and the mystery continues to this day. Now, the interesting thing is about that is not everybody hears it, but it's a vast majority. I don't remember what exactly the number is percentage-wise, but it was well over 50% of the people that live there or spend a lot of time in that town can actually hear it. So I know here in 
the upper peninsula of Michigan back in the 70s or early 80s, there was a, a case like this too where people were, were hearing constant ringing or humming in their ears and there was never any explanation for that. But I haven't heard whether that continues to this day like it does in Taos or not. But very interesting nonetheless. Now one that's sort of interesting in a sports setting is the famous case of Babe Ruth calling his shot. But did he actually call his own shot? Don't tell a Yankees fan that it didn't happen, but there really isn't any proof that Babe Ruth called his shot during Game 3 of the 1932 World Series against the Chicago Cubs. As legend has it, the Bambino went up to the bat during the fifth inning and pointed towards the bleachers, indicating exactly where he planned to hit the ball, and then did just that. The footage that survives did show that he actually did indeed point, but was he pointing to center field where he ended up hitting the historic home run, or to the pitcher or even the Cubs bench? There's no definitive proof whether he was pointing he was going to hit a home run, or whether he was just join with somebody, join with a picture pitcher easy for me to say one of those mysteries that has grown and grown and grown because unlike today where there would have been 5,000 cameras on him from tv and news and everybody in the crowd with a cell phone there was only one back in 1932 so we'll never know whether he actually called his shot or he was talking smack to the pitcher now one that our friend kate mentioned was amelia Earhart. and the last time anybody saw the pioneering aviator was during the summer of 1937 when she boarded her lockheed electra 10e plane and attempted to fly around the world with just her and her navigator she vanished without a trace, and U.S. authorities speculated that she probably crashed somewhere in the Pacific Ocean. But rumors have persisted that she survived. Whatever happened to her plane, there have been photos of her allegedly alive and well years after she supposedly perished on a dock in the Marshall Islands. Now, that story has been debunked, but recently bones found on a remote Pacific island in 1940, which were originally thought to belong to a man, have been retested and are likely, now I say likely, the remains of Amelia Earhart. In a few years, the favorite unsolved mystery of the world could very well be closed. But was that her? Wasn't it her? And if you're a fan of Star Trek Voyager, you will know that they were abducted by aliens and taken to another planet to which the crew of Voyager ran across them in the Delta Quadrant. Still weird. It's kind of like the, the, the Babe Ruth story beforehand. Mysteries of those times don't get solved easily because, like 
today, there wasn't 5,000 cameras on her every move. There wasn't radar following her all around the globe. There wasn't satellites being able to ping her black box at every turn. So she was, for lack of a better term, flying dark most of the time. So what really happened to her? Did she crash? I know some of the theories were she was a a double agent for a foreign power and she flew with all these military secrets. There were rumors going around or theories going around that her and her navigator were having an affair and ran off together and whatnot. But so who really knows? That is one of the great mysteries that's gone down in the American mystery lexicon. And we'll finish off with the one that I sort of teased at the beginning because it's probably one of the most fascinating ones to me, and I really have no reason or explanation why it's so fascinating to me because I'm not a huge buff of stealing money, robbing banks. I'm not a huge flight buff or airplane buff. I just, this was when I was a young kid. Well, technically when it happened, I wasn't even two years old yet. But as the mystery grew in the 70s and I was becoming aware of what was on the TV, this was one of those mysteries that, that just captivated me. And it still does to this day because they don't have an answer. But on November 24th, 1971, a guy known only as D.B. Cooper boarded a Northwest Airlines flight for a short flight from Portland to Seattle, during which he hijacked it using a briefcase that he claimed to hold a bomb in. In Seattle, he released all 36 passengers and demanded the authorities give him $200,000 and several parachutes. He then instructed the pilots to fly to Mexico and remain slow and low to the ground. With the rear door unlocked, this was the last anybody ever saw him. Did he jump successfully from the plane and escape with the thousands of dollars? Nobody knows for sure what really happened. There's been hundreds, dozens, millions, zillions of theories out there about who exactly D.B. Cooper was, what exactly happened to him. There's been pieces of money that they think is the, the money that he had found in the woodlines in Washington State, there's been pieces of parachute found that they think might be from one of the parachutes that he had, but nobody has ever had any concrete proof or evidence that any of that actually belonged to or was any possession of D.B. Cooper. Now, in your typical FBI twist, they claimed that there was no way that he could have survived that jump, but issued a new composite in 2017 of what exactly he might look like if he were alive today. Now, if there's no way that he could have survived that jump, why would you waste man time, man hours, 
coming up with a aged composite of what D.B. Cooper would look like 50 years later. Hmm? One of the most intriguing unsolved mysteries of our time, and it's one of those that I kind of want the answer to it, but I kind of don't, because the lore of the mystery goes away once you find it's like it's sort of like everyone wanted to know who deep throat was from watergate and all these years there was this big mystery about who deep throat was who the informant was that that really ended richard nixon's presidency and all these years it was a great piece of lore in our lexicon wanting to know who it was nobody could figure out who he was nobody could prove who he was it wasn't until 2008 when he passed away that we actually learned who deep through was and it was mark felt who was an associate director of the fbi that was sharing all the information with Woodward and Bernstein. And that sort of took out that mystique from the whole Watergate thing when we found out who it was. So that's one of the great things about mysteries when you don't have the answers to it all. That's that's what makes them so great. And why I love a great Unsolved Mysteries. If you enjoyed this podcast, don't forget to hit like and subscribe so you get each new episode downloaded directly into your phone. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter at FTP1701. I don't really have a closer to this, so I'll just take a quote from the movie All the President's Men attributed to Deep Throat and simply say, follow the money. That was a horrible hell hole brook impression. Take care, everybody. <laughs>